The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 31, Special Ed Tech with Jessica Reed. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Good, Ben. How are you? I'm great. We are actually, this is what's weird, we are actually sitting in the same room-ish? Ish. It's, We're outside. Yeah. There's a cover. That's true. There's so a cover. It's we're not sunny. getting completely scorched no. by the uh, the, the high desert sun. That's true. So we are, yeah, we're we're recording again, um, and we're together. So this is this is kind of a rarity. And um, you are. I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on the twitters at Anderson EdTech, and then there's my blog AndersonEdTech.net. And Ben, my friend, you are. I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on the Twitterverse at BDixonNV, and I just stopped plugging my blog because there's no point. Well, you know, <laughs> you've had a lot going on ever since I that big announcement things. we I made. I got some things, yeah. We made that big announcement in episode 29 um, about your new gig, so yep. you've been slightly busy, so I busy. get it. That's true. But, but so yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping some things will will move forward as we as we go through the year. But this is the Beer Edu podcast, so you know we have a guest. But first, we need to kind of talk about what we're drinking, and then we'll introduce our guest. So, what do you got, Kyle? Um, I have something really special and near and dear to my heart because uh, this is something that basically introduced me to beer that was not Miller Lite, Coors Light kind of. Um, I have the Bell's Two-Hearted Ale, and Bell's is a brewery from just outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and they've been around for quite a while now, and it was something that became popular in Michigan when I lived there, and when I was in college, this is one of the first beers I can remember drinking that was not that standard American light lager, okay. and it's an American IPA, 7% ABV, uh, Funny enough, there was no IBU listed, but being it's an American IPA, I mean, the IBUs are definitely getting amped up a little bit, but um, it is it is just delicious. It, and it, it, it had a lot of check-ins on Untapped, so we were surprised that it didn't. And it's one I've never had. I've never seen it. Never. Yeah. It, it's it, definitely a, a, a regional beer. Yeah. Um, they are slowly starting to spread across the United States. Uh, this one became available on June 12th in Nevada. Okay. So... Um, it's it's now here, and then there's another one. I probably will feature it on an episode later on as the Bell's Oberon, the the summer ale. Okay. Uh, that's another one that I really enjoy. So, um, but yeah, I'm really happy that Bell's has made its way to Nevada, and that I could share it with you because yeah. I, you know, we've been I've told you about this beer before and plugged it a lot, and uh, now you can actually have yeah. it too. So so mine is what, and I had to go back and look at all our show notes to see. I am amazed that I have not had this beer on the show because it is like probably one of my all time go tos. Yeah. So, I, and when we were looking, we discovered I had this one in episode right. zero, the very very first one mm-hmm. that we did. But yeah, right. I was blown away right. you didn't have this one either. So so mine is the tried and true Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I, I would say their flagship beer. You know, pretty easy, 5.6 ABV, uh, 38 IBU. Um, it's the first, I would say, the first craft beer that I ever had. And I was thinking about this back in the 
90-ish, before they were bottling it, um, a friend of mine worked at a restaurant here in town, um, and the owner had gone to the brewery and got two kegs. Mm. And that was the first time I'd ever had it. So this was my, I would say, my introduction to, to uh, much like yours, my introduction to uh, non-Budweiser, yeah. we'll say. In the late 90s, after they had started bottling it, um, still living in Michigan, my dad's friend um, outside of Redding, California, where mm-hmm. my parents live now, right. would ship him a case every oh, now yeah. and then. So my dad got into the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, you know, 20 some right. years ago. And then when we moved out west and it was readily available, mm-hmm. um, you know, that became kind of my staple. And then it was funny, about 10 years ago, I was back in Michigan for a family reunion or something. And the one restaurant we always go to, right. the owner knew we were coming ahead of time and yeah. actually had ordered special orders from Sierra Nevada for the bar that night and he goes i'm gonna cut you a deal anybody else wants it though they're getting they're getting full price, full price. so well it, it is now it is they've got two breweries one on the west coast one on the east coast so it is readily available all over but hey we have a guest we do have a guest and um you know we talk about on different episodes about how we're really you know spreading our reach out and um, our guest today hails from alabama so yeah. we are clear across three different time zones on this one today so let's go ahead and introduce jessica reed to the podcast. Jessica, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? We are doing great, excellent. Great. And and you have a very so we always tell people you don't have to drink beer to be on the show because that's you know we do all kinds of stuff. But you have an interesting drink as your 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 drink. What what would be your drink? It is a Long Island iced tea. Ooh. All right. Um I have I, fond and not so fond <laughs> memories of drinking Long Island iced teas. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I hate to say this, I don't think I've ever had one. I don't um, think I've ever had one. Yeah, well, Jessica, maybe you can refresh us a little bit by what? Yeah, what's in it first? I don't really know. I just order it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. May, I know it's a lot of liquor. I think it's like vodka, rum, gin, tequila. Trip, maybe know. triple sec or something, or sour mix or something. I don't know. I think there's Sprite in it, too. Okay. Yeah, something. I don't know. I just know that, yeah, you're right. There are, there are a lot of liquor. And when I was in college, the one bar on Thursday nights had 32-ounce Long Islands that for sounds, $4. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that sounds like a train wreck waiting to happen. Oh, you, you, I would walk in, just give the bartender a $10 bill, and that, that was my night. I didn't have to worry. You know, and then, you know, sometimes... Well, Woo. I did have to worry because yeah, I didn't remember how, how I got home, home after that. So, but, um, so definitely a sipping drink, I imagine, Jessica. <laughs> it is. It's not one that you want to like chug. No, like no. Okay. For sure. So, yeah. well, uh, thank you for coming on and uh, yes. working it out so we could uh, have this chat. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? And, uh, you know, just a little bit about you. Okay. So I am a special ed teacher for NM Middle School. And I am finishing up my EDS and in instructional technology in or in July. And so I recently have just discovered a passion for everything instructional technology. I presented, I tried to present at conferences. Um, I think I actually submitted one for a Nevada one. The CUE may be coming oh, up. Oh, Q for Q. Yeah, oh, cool. I did it back in a couple months ago, I think. All right. Oh, wow. Well, um, I'm on that um, committee that is going to look at those. So, um, and we we do it blind, so I won't know which one's yours. But um, <laughs> but um, I look forward to seeing uh, that, and then um, you know, hopefully approving you, so you can come to Las Vegas in September. Then. 
Yeah, it's one of those. I think I just started applying as many as I could because right. I love to meet people and speak. Um, I have no problem doing that. And I'm a Kentucky fan, Kentucky grad. And I have a two-year-old who you might hear in the background if she decides to throw a tantrum. <laughs> that's what we do now. It would not be the first time that no. a child appeared on the Beer EDU podcast not at some at point. So do not have we do yeah. not have any worries about that whatsoever. No, it is an education podcast. We talk about education, and yeah, there are tiny humans involved in that. So yeah, there you so, go. Um, you know, my son likes to make his appearance every now and then, yeah. um, and you know, ask for things and whatnot. So yeah. no, it, she is more than welcome to come on if she, if she so desires. So, so I guess my first question is, what is so when you you were talking about uh, presenting at different conferences and things like that? So what is your can you just give us like the bullet point or, or the, the, the the thumbnail of what is it that you usually present? Well, I've done a couple of different things. The last one I did, because I just presented this past week at uh, Murray State University. Uh, it's called the, the Summit or something. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about Google collaboration. So talking about using co-teaching and how you can use Google to make it a better situation because coming from the SPED perspective, mm -hmm. I'm also doing Google Chaos, which I talk about how you can use Google Classroom and how you can use like Nearpod, Flipgrid, Paradex, like all of those different things because not many teachers know about those, like if you're in the pre-service setting okay. or not. So just that kind of stuff. Things that I've, I've used in my own classroom that I'm like, ah, this is awesome. Okay, so when you were presenting this session, then this was to some pre-service teachers then, still in college, working on their degrees? There was one that I did. Now, this one was just a whole bunch of educators from the state of Kentucky. Oh, okay. I think the main reason everybody came <laughs> was to see uh, Gary Brooks. Do you know who that is? He's the principal from Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, the one with the heavy Southern oh, accent. That yes. is absolutely hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. He was there, and then Matt Miller spoke the Ditch the Tech book, Textbook, yep. which was really cool. And then Casey Bell also was, like, one of the oh, main wow. speakers. So okay. they were – I think that's why people really came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, Ben and I – well, Matt was on the yeah, show was a on while show. back. So we definitely okay. know about Matt. And then, you know, definitely very familiar with the other two. Um, yes. I guess I never knew the other one's name. I didn't you know, I just have seen his He's videos. the guy in the car that's hilarious. Yeah, just the like the stuff that it, it's all serious <laughs> topics, but then between how he says it and then his accent just makes it hilarious. Yeah, his accent is not that thick in real life. <laughs> no, also. He <laughs> He's putting it on a little bit. Yeah, like yeah. Larry the Cable Guy style. Yes. He's really funny, though, and he uh, – I actually taught in his district. He wasn't my principal, but um, he comes from a high stakes district. So it's kind of interesting to see what he does. Wow. But he just shares that. I think he just shares what we're all thinking as educators. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I, I, yes. I, I think that that is his appeal right there. It's yeah. all the things that every single person wants to say in education. But we're like, uh, I don't know if I can say that on Facebook, on a YouTube video. Yeah, or, or yeah. really even in between people. So yes. there, there's definitely some of the stuff that he addresses that I'm like, you know what? I might be thinking it. I just don't have the guts to say it, though. So, yeah. So I'm interested in, in when you were talking about co-teaching and using using the Google, like all the, all the uh, capabilities of Google, what can you tell us a little more about that? Like, how does that look? How does that look in your like in your current day to day role? 
Sure. So when I use Google Classroom with a co-teacher, um, this past year I only had taught one inclusion class with a girl named Miss Wright. I'm Miss mm-hmm. Reed, so we were Reed and Wright. Yeah. Um, at ELA, we have shirts. Right <laughs> that, that, you got to do that. that makes yeah, sense. no, that's, that, that's a sticker and a t-shirt waiting to happen. I think we're even going to try to do like one of those cheesy Christmas cards together. Yes. That's a good idea. I think that has to happen. So yeah, but, but we digress. Yeah, continue, please. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so we basically like you can use Google Calendar to kind of be able to plan together, like who's going to do what, mm-hmm. and be able to to plan for like IEPs and all of that kind of stuff. And then you also can talk about. Um, you can also do. You know, just with like Google Sheets, Google Docs, any of that sort of stuff, you can collaborate with another teacher. So it's basically you're taking the workload and reducing it in half. So everybody's kind of doing working on something. I think that if you have a situation where both teachers respect each other, because co-teaching is like a marriage. Oh, yeah. Can either end up in happiness or end up in divorce by the middle of the year. Like, let's just be truthful. No, no, it's an arranged marriage. Hey, you're married. And Make as, it work for 180 and, days. And as a yeah. co-teacher myself, I can definitely yes. vouch for this. So um, we've also used, you know how with Google you can, like, um, if a te- if somebody's working on something, you can be working on it at the same time? Yes. That's something that you can do working on plans or working with the kids. You can definitely use differentiation for Google Classroom, just being able to submit different things. I've tried to talk to my, or I want to this upcoming year because I'm our lead about using Google Classroom to send assignments for progress monitoring oh. for some of your kids on your caseload. Right. Like if you set up your own classroom for your caseload, right. that way you could have oh. records, you know, data's king. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing about data. And just like that kind of stuff where it would just make your job easier. Right. You I, know. That is, I, that is an interesting idea about the Google Classroom for progress monitoring. Because I do think the 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 teachers that I work with, that's definitely like a anything that can save some time from that piece. I think is huge for teachers. Yeah, and I I mean that never crossed my mind to do that myself. The, yeah. the closest that I had to doing that this past year was my school uses Go Guardian, the program where you can monitor students' uh, technology use. So if oh cool yeah, so if you know. In, in a class, they're supposed to be working on a lab report, for example, and then you look and they're watching Ariana Grande videos on YouTube. What? You know, you can, Kids I, don't do that. I know, right? <laughs> but what you can do, you you can go in, you can close out that tab and then send them a message, hey, you need to get back to work. And there's a lot of different functions of Go Guardian. It's it's something it's a nice tool to have. It's not something that I recommend that somebody can rely completely upon. Right. You still need to be you a walk teacher around and walk the classroom. around and whatnot <laughs> yeah. instead of just putting it up and then kicking back and, uh, you know, watching your own YouTube videos or something. Right. But what I had done this year using GoGuardian was I set up a class with my caseload students to where, not that I did it all the time, but every now and then I could pull that up and just check in, see what they're doing. And, you know, if I see a kid on YouTube or something like that and, you know, I know that they're they're not – their grades are not real well good in their classes. I can pull that kid aside and be like, Hey, you know, I noticed that your grades aren't, is there some stuff going on that we need to work right, on? Right. You know, and they, and they can say, I'm just like, well, I also noticed though that, you know, in that class you say, and you're struggling with, you're on YouTube a lot. What's going on with that? So, 
you know, and again, I, it's not something I want to use as a gotcha kind of tool, but it's definitely something that it was a nice tool to have. So, but um, I'm just really interested. What's some of the stuff that you do with that Google Classroom with your caseload uh, to try to collect some of that data? Well, I haven't actually done it yet. I plan to do it this upcoming year. And what I want to do is I see a lot of my, my kids because I'll be doing resource this year. Okay. I'll be doing uh, five sections of resource, wow. six, seven, and eight. Okay. Yeah, it's good times. Um, and what I want to do with it is to be able to just send assignments like writing, math, ELA, anything that I know that they can work on by themselves and not really need that instruction to where like if we have some free time, which is not very often, right. I can say, hey, did you go do that assignment for me? Right. So it's more consistent. I want my kids to be more in charge of their progress monitoring than me. Right. Like I shouldn't right. be checking in. Although I do like your idea of checking what your kids are doing on their steps. You're making sure they're doing what they're supposed to. You know, yeah, yeah, that with Go Guardian, I, I don't know a price and I know my district pays for it district wide. So I don't I don't know. I know there's a cost associated with it, but it's something that when they were talking about budget cuts, which that's another thing. You know, no way. School districts budget cuts. No way. Nah, but but, <laughs> you know, when when people are talking about potential cuts or whatever, that's something that a lot of teachers in my district said, you know, you can cut some stuff, but please do not cut this program. Do your kids take their their technology home, or does it stay at school? Um, we can take ours home. Uh, we're one to one, third through twelfth in my district, and they get to take it home. Okay, not in mine. Also, we're not either. This is we're going into our second year fully one to one, and every classroom has Chromebooks, but the kids can't take them home. So they all have Google accounts, but they can't take the Chromebooks home. So let, that brings up an in, interesting question then. So because obviously there's going to be some of the haves that have their own technology at home, but how does your district, how does your school address the have-nots then that they can start something at school and you know the teachers for the most part probably embracing the digital side of things, but then how do they address those kids that can't get the stuff done at home? That's a good question. I mean, in my own particular classroom, I, tr I try not to assign things digitally, digitally that I, because I, I mean, my kids are not like, going to be able to afford it. Some of them are. For other teachers, I don't really know. I know we try, the homework that you're supposed to give is supposed to actually be productive. It's not just like busy right, work. Right. Work. Right. So I think a lot of times with the Google Classroom, it's more of if you can study it, great. If you right. can't, that kind of thing. I don't know. I'll have to definitely look into that a little bit more because I just been four sections of resource. I was more concerned about whether or not my kids would do it because my kids are not going to turn in homework. They're like, right, mm -mm, right, I'm good. Well, and, and your your number one concern is really looking at where they are and their goals, and then making sure you're supporting that. So, I mean, I could see the use for use for uh, using that to progress monitor and stuff like that. Well, and is your resource, does it work where it's a time where students can work on their work from another class, or is it designed specifically where it's like an almost an extra class? Like if they have goals in uh, English, yeah. is that so a, is it an enrichment class? Well, I'm actually their English teacher. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So I'm like strictly like just their English, like I'm considered, I guess, their gen ed teacher as well. Oh, because I okay. English. Okay. I just do a lot more stuff, I guess, on a little bit of a lower level. I right. still have cool activities. Like we did an informational 
essay on Fortnite, whether or okay. not, or I guess it's more persuasive, cool. whether or not Fortnite should be banned or not, right. because right. my kids all play Fortnite. Of course. You know, um, so that was one of those things. So I kind of do, I take the standards, but I try to differentiate and use technology right. and all that kind of stuff. That's why I love Flipgrid, because several of my kids struggle with writing, but they can verbalize very clearly right. what their thoughts are. Right, and I've used Flipgrid in the same fashion uh, as providing that as a choice for for students. Um, yeah, I mean, because I co-teach, I use it for every student. Where you can either, you can you can write this response out, or if you're more comfortable with recording this short video, do it that way. Because le like your experience, you have students that struggle with writing, so they, they can articulate verbally very well. Um, or some students are like, you know, I just really don't feel like writing. I'm just going to record this real right. quick. Yeah. So, so do you feel that with your use of technology, is that helping you, your students kind of access that that tier one instructional piece that kind of levels out that playing field for them? I think so. I think uh, my class <laughs> benefits from the fact that I'm obsessed with technology and I'm learning all the cool things like right. Mirapod, right? And and just being able to do that kind of stuff. Yes, because I feel like. They're able to learn at a better pace. Okay. Whereas in a rec, really, you just switch seats with me. Instead of them just uh, being in a regular classroom, if that makes right. sense. Right. No, that does make sense. For sure. I mean, even, I think my, I'm very blessed. I have a principal who is very, very like, yes, that's great. That's awesome. Do whatever you've got to do. Right. So do you so do you find that the other staff in the building that you work with are they receptive to to trying these things? Are you able to kind of share your share what you're doing with them? I actually am. I with my another partner. I do a thing called Googly Girls, and we are a pair. It's the media center specialist okay. at my school, and we actually presented at the summit. She was the one I presented with. Oh, cool. And we have actually done a training about Google Docs and Google Forms and like a breakout room because several of our kids or several of our teachers haven't tried that yet. And then we've done stuff on Nearpod. So yes, they kind of get me, I guess, to two for one, the technology and the te and the special ed all in one. So we don't have any instructional technology coaches yet because we're only two years into the Chromebooks. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very common i think where a lot of schools either don't have them or they had them and now they're starting to cut them because of budget constraints and whatnot so uh my district we actually at the middle school level just lost a couple of the tech coach coaches so, oh no yeah so and i know the teachers over there were a little upset about that which i, I don't blame them because they had somebody they, they could talk to about trying some new, new stuff because that's one of the biggest things is that it's not that teachers don't want to use the technology. Right. They, a lot of people, they're just afraid to be, for right. whatever right. reason it may be because they don't know the tech or they're scared of failing in front of the students. I mean, and those yeah. tech coaches help with that. Well, you can always give them a problem too and kind of be like, hey, can you help me solve this? And they're, they're there to help. So then, so then is that, so you were just kind of like you're you're kind of that go-to person with someone else. Then it sounds like in your in your school, we are. Yeah. <laughs> is that how it is in most of the schools in your district? Then is that kind um, of we're really 
we're a really small district. There's right. only four schools. Oh, we yeah. have two elementary, okay. one middle, one high. Okay. Um, I have actually helped out one of the elementary schools with Flipgrid for their okay. summer reading project. Cool. Because they weren't sure what it was. Right. And then uh, we haven't really done anything with high school. Our plan, I think eventually we want to expand into like the elementary schools and the high school with our trainings. Okay. We haven't had a chance with all of the things going on that right. we already do. Okay. Okay, cool. So, um, so how do you, I guess, I guess my question, I, another question I have is like, how do you, how do you learn about the technology you want to use? Like, are, are you on Twitter? Are you like reading different blogs? Like what's making, what's, what's driving your passion for that? Well, it's honestly pursuing the degree in e, uh, my EDS and in instructional okay. technology because I've learned so many things. And then Twitter's like the coolest thing ever because you learn yeah. so much just by learning about other people. Right. Um, I didn't know you could become Google certified till I started messing around. I didn't know anything about the Google Innovator stuff. Flipgrid. I didn't know what Flipgrid was this time last summer. Right. I mean, just Twitter's like the having that personal learning network right. has been so informational and so helpful. Yeah, I think uh, most listeners of this show could would probably agree with you on that one because so so many people that that's their go to now. You know, and I mean, you know, four or five years ago, I was the anti Twitter, and then now like, I couldn't imagine. Right. my day without Twitter because you know if I have a question mm-hmm. I just throw it on there and I get an answer within 15 minutes so recently you know my the hard drive my wife's computer crashed and yeah. I put a message out asking hey what's a fair price that I should pay to have this thing uh, looked at and then recovered potentially and then ultimately the answers I was getting said you know what not even worth having them look at it so I'll just get the new hard drive replaced by the warranty but uh, I got that answer in five minutes on Twitter it wasn't you know, an email out to somebody or me having to do some research on the internet or anything. It was from real people and they had a real answer for me. Well, I've just had, it's just been really cool. Like doing your guys' podcast, I have done a guest blog a couple of times for uh, Brian Asperwell. I can't yeah. say his last name. That does Codebreaker. Yes. yes. I've written a couple of blog posts for him, which is really cool because that kind of gets my stuff out there. Right. More so than what I do. Right. Um, I've learned about conferences that way, right. you know, it's just very, very cool to see and make those connections with people. Oh, for sure. That is, that is, that is how, like most of the people that I connect with, it, it is through that. And, and I really, the teachers I work with, I talk to them cause they're all, there's a little bit of a fear of, you know, uh, what Twitter is and it's a bunch of you know, a bunch of junk and things like that. And I'm like, no, 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 there, there is a lot of that, but it's like who you follow and who you, that I think for the educational side, I, I think it's huge. I actually think it's bigger. I, I think it's bigger than Facebook. That's my personal opinion in for, terms of for teachers, for, for sure. teachers. Yeah. So for I mean, content and teaching things, I see it more useful. That yeah. Way. There's definitely stuff on Facebook, but, um, you know, and I'm actually part of a couple of groups on Facebook myself, yeah, me too. but it, I don't, I don't look at it that much, especially since I deleted Facebook off my phone and mm-hmm. now I have to go online to do it. And I just don't think to do it now because frankly, I just don't need the negativity <laughs> of Facebook in my life, which I'm sure that everybody here is aware of. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, no, Twitter has definitely been life changing and we, this will not be the first time. It won't be the last time we've said this on this show, but this podcast wouldn't exist without Twitter because I would have never met Ben. That's true. Uh, we, we, we met on Twitter and then uh, 
you know, we eventually made the plan to create this show and yep. then just worked out that where I ended up moving like two miles from his house instead of 452 yeah. miles. He lived in the southern part of Nevada. We don't, we don't like that part. Yeah, northern Nevadans. Sorry uh, to all my Vegas friends. Yeah, <laughs> northern Nevadans, uh, they, don't, they don't look too kindly upon <laughs> southern Nevadans. So. We, we have that rivalry. Yeah. It's nice. I didn't know that. Good yes, to know. it is. Well, people always, it's always interesting when I talk to people and they're like, oh, you live in Reno. Like, do you go to Vegas all the time? And I'm like, it's a seven-hour drive. No, I don't go to Vegas at all. <laughs> I mean, I do, actually, I do go to Vegas a lot, but. Yeah, it's, but, it's it's a trek. Yeah, it's definitely a trek. And then the t- the times that when I was living there would come here. Yeah, it's it's about a seven hour drive, and I've made it as little as six. But uh, and there is when we say there is nothing in between, there is nothing in between. So I've been to Vegas once, right? Or I've been twice. I okay. went. My husband and I went for our honeymoon. Okay, five years ago. Yeah, I I like it, but I mean, it is it is definitely a different a different place, and and yeah. we're yeah, there is a rivalry here. <laughs> yeah, and well, and the, the perception of Las Vegas is the perception of basically if you never leave the Strip. You know, Vegas is no different than any other city yeah. in the world where there's neighborhoods, there's grocery stores. Believe it or not, people don't just live in you know the top floor of Caesar's Palace and stuff. Uh, so, but uh, now it's de- it's definitely nice. I enjoyed living there for as long as I did, but I'm also enjoying where I'm at now. Yeah. So. J- so tell us a little more about you. You talked a little bit about the conferences that you've done and things. Are you are you hoping to expand that? Is that something you're you're are you getting more into presenting at conferences? Like, and how how does one go about that for people that might be interested in that? Um, as far as I know, I've always liked to to speak. I did four H, so I did okay. several projects where like you had to be a public speaker. Okay. And I really like. Can you say hi? She's like, uh, who are you? We got a special guest. Yes. She was taping another episode on the across the hall. <laughs> yeah. She she has a glorious apple juice in a bottle. Yes, yes. Um, no, so with the presenting, I've I've just done one. I done a couple. Okay. And then I got an email about one last summer. And I presented, oh. and I had such a good time. And then I just started submitting proposals. Okay. And so it was really me looking and searching. I think I've even submitted a proposal to Iowa. I don't know if I'd go, but, <laughs> like, I was like, I want to get my name out. Right. And then I recently went to a big conference called um, Teach Your Heart Out. Oh, I don't know that one. No, I'm not I'm no. there either. So tell us a little bit about that yeah, one. Yeah, what's that about? It is a really cool conference where you got several teachers. Um, several nationally known presenters, and you're like in Atlanta, and it's just engaging and enthusiasm, enthusiastic presentations, and all of that kind of stuff, which I thought was really cool because you're getting your message, your thoughts out there to right. such a big, big thing. And I'm really interested in eventually doing that besides staying in the classroom. I think anytime that I can meet and maybe make some kind of impact on somebody. To help their students, I'm doing a I'm doing a good job. For sure. So I don't know if I'd ever make it like super big or anything, right. but that's eventually what I want to do. That's your plan. My husband, even my the even the Casey Bells and the Matt Millers of the world started out small. Yeah. So, you know, you never know what's gonna happen. So and um, you know, it's a very similar story. A friend of the show, Ad Juarez. Yep. He was very similar situation to you where he was just putting his name out and whatever and 
he ended up getting accepted to a conference and not even remembering to sign up for it. And last minute he goes to it and he ends up meeting his wife there. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so they, they had, uh, interacted on Twitter before and then uh, he ends up meeting his wife um, by going and presenting at this conference. So, you know, that. So I always enjoy hearing that story when he tells that. And I think conferences, at least, and and we and I've presented at a couple of small ones, but I think anytime you go to a conference, it's it's we've talked about this on the show. It's it's not just the the sessions; it's the the networking. It's meeting different people. It's making connections. I mean, I, I learn. We we talk all. You hear this all the time. You learn more in the hallway than sometimes you do in the session. And that's not to knock the sessions no, at all. It's no. just um, it's just interacting with people mm-hmm. and and learning about their experiences doing stuff. Like in the trenches versus just, you know, somebody like you should try this in the classroom and they've never even set foot in a classroom. I definitely like it. I think my husband thinks I'm crazy because I want to go all the time. And um, like I just recently got proposed or submitted a proposal and I got accepted to a digital summit in Arkansas. Oh, my husband's like, Arkansas, really? I'm like, hey, look, I can't turn it down. You know, yeah. like you don't know when they're going to come because oh, sure. it's like every for every one you turn in, like you might get accepted to one out of three. You know what I mean? Right. And we, we talk a lot about branding here and about branding yourself and what you do. And I think those those conferences really are a branding opportunity because you never know. I know people that have worked those. They've done conference presentations and then they're consulting. So then you get you get a consulting opportunity out of it. You get to, you know, I think that's valuable. Yeah, and it either is something that you know supplements the income, or in the cases of like here, a, yeah. like a Casey Bell, where that's what she does now. You know, she just travels the conference circuit, and uh, you know that's how she makes her living. So, so it's definitely um, you know something that you know we wish you all all the luck yeah. in uh, you know in that journey because. Um, it, I definitely enjoy it myself. You know, I, I, I presented a lot of different things. I haven't ventured really outside of Nevada and California yet with that. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually I would love to take myself a little more nationally or, you know, maybe even into Canada and make it Ooh, international. Ooh, that would be cool. So, um, you know, my, my ancestors uh, first settled in Canada after coming over from England. So I guess I'm part Canadian mm-hmm. back in the so day. Did you watch the hockey thing yesterday? Oh, yes. So, He's a huge hockey fan. Yes, I, I definitely watched the uh, Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. So, And actually, the St. Louis Blues, um, after the Vegas Golden Knights were eliminated, I said, I want the Blues to win because they've been in the league for 50-plus years and have never won a cup. Yep. And I that was who I watched the rest of the way out. And uh, – I was real happy to see them pull that off. Nice. My husband watched it, and I was like, oh, yay. Like, I like to go to hockey games. I don't like to watch them. <laughs> hockey games are a lot more fun in person. Oh, uh, I, I can definitely vouch I, for that. Growing up in Michigan, hockey is, you know, something that was very popular. And, uh, you know, it's definitely catching hold in a lot of areas. And, you know, not far from you is uh, Alabama Huntsville. They got a college team. Um, oh yeah, at Huntsville, and then I know there's different places, different cities in the South now that have the minor league teams, mm-hmm. uh, where it's really starting to catch hold in, uh, you know, places like Alabama and uh, Mississippi, where you know they're they're a thousand miles from anywhere that can naturally get an ice rink. So, but um, I'm also interested when you when we talked to you about coming on the show, and uh, you you wanted to talk about technology and special education, not. 
I perked right up because I'm like, oh, special education, technology. I, I really want to hear what she has to say. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here. So okay. you mentioned Google Classroom. You mentioned Flipgrid as some tools that um, you like to use. I want to hear your number one tool that you use with kids and then your number one tool that you use for yourself in regards to performing the duties of your position. Oh, goodness. That's, that is a little bit on the spot. Um, for my kids, it would be Nearpod. Okay. Because it's an easy tool to use, especially um, you can just turn your slides into a Nearpod, and it's interactive, and it's something that the kids don't have to have their name on right. anything. You can get instant feedback. Right. Something for myself that I use. Oh, goodness. I would say would be Padlet. Oh, tell us more. Okay. Okay, so do you know what Padlet yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, okay. we're familiar, but I, I'm yeah. just kind of curious as to where you're going with this yeah. now. I guess for myself, it's just being able to, like, I've used it in graduate classes. Okay. Before. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching a college class this summer and on autism. Okay, cool. Because I'm crazy like that. With everything I've got going on, let me just teach a college class. Right. And so, I want to use Padlet to have my students respond to stuff. Okay. So, to me, it's as very simple as using the, you know, the sticky note on yeah. the board. Mm -hmm. So so for people who are not aware of Padlet, can you give us a, a quick a quick rundown on what, what you can do with it? Sure. Padlet is just, you can, I think you can pay for it, but you can right. get like three screens a month and you can change them out mm -hmm. and you basically can pose a question or post something and the kids can respond with sentences, pictures, whatever. And it just looks like little post-it notes on your computer screen. Really quick, really simple. Wait, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. And so, then how about Nearpod for those that yeah. don't know much about Nearpod? All right. So Nearpod is a really cool presentation tool that you can use that the kids can't they you basically lock the kids into the presentation right. mode you can either use student mode or live mode and with live mode you control what's going on on their screen which for my kids they like to leave <laughs> when they leave so right. i want to make sure i know what's going on and it's something that the kids can just quickly respond to different things it's very similar to pear deck i'm right. just more familiar with nearpod because i'm nearpod certified and I'm really excited because Nearpod just joined with Flocabulary, and mm -hmm. I love Flocabulary. Love using it. I sing the songs. One of my favorite things to help yeah. the kids right. remember. And so I'm excited to kind of use both of those together. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a Paradex certified coach, so we're kind of competing here. So, but but in no, fairness, no, no, no. Like, I if you tell me more about Paradex, because like I'm I'm Paradex inspired. Yeah, but I'm so, like I use it maybe like the last couple of weeks of school. Yeah, so Pear Deck very 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 similar to Nearpod. Um, they're paired up with uh, Google Slides right. to where you use it. You build your presentations in Google Slides. You have the interactive questions. You can lock the students into the presentation, mm -hmm. or you can put it in a student pace mode where then you can have the students work at it at their own pace. Whether uh, I know people that use it in class to have students do stuff in it and then bring the class back together. I've heard of teachers assigning as homework where, you know, your, your job tonight is go through these handful of slides in Pear Deck in student pace mode and, and work with them. And then same, same as uh, Nearpod, you get the instant feedback um, to where you can make the decision whether you need to reteach or not in the moment mm -hmm. versus, you know, down the road. So 
They're both very similar programs. I'm more experienced with Pear Deck. I've seen Nearpod in action. I've never actually used it. So um, I, I say that jokingly when I say that we're competing. So, um, But I definitely would be interested in learning more about it at some point. Yeah, I know, for sure. So, well, those are those are both really good ones yeah. um, that you're using there. And then on top of the other stuff you got going with um, I, I'm really – I really want to either read a blog post or you know, see a video or something. You reflecting later on once you get that Google Classroom with the caseload thing going. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, no, I'll definitely um, when I get it started in August, I'll definitely tag you. Be like, hey, this is what happened. Nice. <laughs> either, either it went great or totally bomb, which is okay. Which kind of then you go back to the drawing yeah. board. You got it. You got to try. You got to be in the game. To, you know. Yeah, and it's and it's making me think maybe I will do the same thing, and then we just kind of compare notes down the road then on how yeah. that works out and then like what worked, what didn't work, and then and then you know exchange mm-hmm. exchange mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. on that. So once again, the power of the PLN. You know. Yeah, the, exactly. That, this this arrangement would not be happening without the power of the PLN. Uh, yes, yeah. Twitter, Twitter. Like, thank you. My biggest thing that I want to work on next is I'm trying to do the Google Innovator stuff. I'm in the same boat as you, so. Um, Are you applying for the New York one? I'm I'm not applying yet because right okay. now, as a one-income family with the wife in grad school, and then you having to pay your own way if you get accepted yeah. to an academy, I'm not even going to kid myself and potentially get accepted and say, "Oh, sorry, I can't afford to come right. now." That would just be devastating. That would to me that would be worse than not getting accepted at all. So, but. Um, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that and like uh, what kind of ideas you have for the Google Certified Innovator. Um, I'm scared crapless at this point. <laughs> the application is so intense. I, I've heard that it's intense. Was, but it is. Yeah. I, we, um, we've heard from other people that it's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's well, intense. Yeah. We, we know a few people yes, that are innovators and just the whole process and then how they got shut down several times. Yeah. Before getting accepted, right. um, you know, not you will. We're not saying you will. No, We're just no, saying. no, no, no. <laughs> I've already been told, like, if you don't get it the first time, you might want to reapply. Like, right. I'm completely aware that if I don't get it the first time, that's cool. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, Adam Waters again. Yeah. I think he Adam said. he had applied to one here in the states, yes. and then, well, and then he he's like, oh, I'll just apply to that one, and then. He actually ended up accidentally applying for the Sydney, Australia. Yes, one. that was what um, And then, like, almost missed the deadline. So he ended up applying for the other one, too. And then he got accepted the Sydney one. So he was like, oh, that's awesome. And now i got to come up with, like, three grand for place <laughs> or whatever. So, and then um, Hans Tolman, late, uh, very recently. He got into the London one. Yes, he got into the London yes, cohort. I've so. been calling him on Twitter. Yes. So he's like five times, I think. Five times. So, wow. Yeah, the opposite of the uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live five time club. Yes. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. So I mean, but yeah, there's just there's a lot of stories about. But but if you really think about it, they're accepting. I don't even know the number. It's less it's than a, thirty. Yeah, less per than cohort. thirty. But yeah, yeah. It's a small. It's a small group, I believe. And you're talking how many thousands of people are applying for that, and um. But again, going back to that power of the PLN, we're we're talking about this right now, and everybody that shared their story about it, we all have a little bit of knowledge going right. in, like you know when we do make the application. So, so is there one that you're applying for that's coming up? 
I am. I'm applying for the New York one. So I'm kind of like in the thick of it, um, along with everything else I've got going on. Um, my main, I just finished doing my last interview. I started with my principal because I really wanted to talk about like doing training for my district. And I don't think we're really ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. and so I ended up talking to my special ed coordinator and um, she's fully aware I'm an overachiever. Mm -hmm. I don't really, really want to Google it. But you're like, it's like my ride or die at this point. Like, I really, <laughs> really want to do it because I think it'd be totally awesome. And I'm really concerned about accessibility for my kids for right. tools right. on the Chromebook and how to make learning that much better for them. So that's kind of the direction I'm going in, but I'm struggling with the whole like if then statement that you have to create because you have to do like a, it's like 20 words or less, basically like what your problem is. Oh, okay. So you have to, I started off with this huge idea and it's slowly going into a smaller. Right. And I mean, like, you know, the Google trainer applications like daunting its, itself, which I, I'm a Google trainer, but, um, and so it's just, it's like crazy to think that you're putting all your eggs into a basket about a, something you're so passionate about and you only have 60 seconds to share that passion. In your oh, in your, oh, wow. Yeah, like, the, the Google Trainer, you mentioned about that being daunted. Um, that took me three times before I got my Google Trainer, but the video was the hardest thing, not because I wasn't knowledgeable, but paring it down to three minutes. You know, try, yeah. trying to tell a group of people why you should be a trainer and then demonstrating a skill in under three minutes is really, really mm -hmm. hard. So... And that's one of the things about that innovator application that I've seen. You know, now you got to talk about a problem in under a minute. I'm like, I talk a lot. So <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, just that, that thought right there. I don't lose sleep at night about it, but if I do think about it, I definitely would be kept up for a while. It's not like, it's one of those things where like, I look at the application and I'll start it and then I'll go, no. And then I have to step away from it. Okay. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, eh. Yes, no. Well, okay. and one of the things that people that have gone through the academy have told me is that you don't be sold completely on your idea that you apply with because what's probably going to happen is you're going to get there and it's going to morph into something oh, yeah. completely different. So um, have an idea and make sure it's a good one to get into the program, right. but don't be married to that idea and have it be a non-negotiable. Because again, like I know, like Adam is his he said his problem uh, completely flipped by the time he got through the academy and then was assigned his mentor. Huh. Nice. I, I work in a district that's Microsoft, so <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. a whole other set of things I get to do. Yeah. So, but I mean, they and I don't think they have like it's it's not like Google, but there are different certifications. And yeah, I know, I know. And we know a bunch of people that have done those too. Right. So I don't think it's as daunting though. Yeah. Well, because I just I, I'm not sure because I, we've mentioned this before of how Microsoft is kind of playing catch up to Google they are. And, they, and they're coming. You know, they're they're getting caught up at this point. But yeah, I mean, they got their Microsoft Innovative Educator. Right. Um, that I I have the badge for that, and then if I have that too. Yeah, and if you're if you've done trainings, you're and you're conducting trainings, right. they have like a Microsoft yes, trainer do. kind of right. deal. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I if they have. Well, yeah, I don't think they do. I, I here's the thing, and not to knock Microsoft, but I mean, I don't think it carries the prestige 
you know, th- there's there's some serious clout like with that Google Innovator. Yeah, there's well, that, that, people know how long that takes. And I'm not sure, not not to completely disagree with you, but like the prestige thing. At part of it, I also think is that I don't know an exact number, but we'll just call it eighty twenty. Eighty percent of the districts out there are my are Google. Twenty yeah. percent are Microsoft. That's true so too. It's just it doesn't have the reach. Maybe that's it. So. Yeah. So like I get what you're seeing with the prestige part. Yeah, I think it has I has a little bit I think it has a little bit to do with do the, reach the part. number of people that are right. doing it. That could be too. I don't know. So but, uh, so well Jessica, thank you so yes. much for joining us yeah. here today and sharing your story, sharing your passion, uh not just for special education, but just for uh for technology and everything. And um, you know, we can see that, you know. The Long Island hasn't fully kicked in on you, so that's good. No, <laughs> so, not yet. <laughs> so, Maybe it will with the two-year-old here in the yeah, spirit. that could possibly happen. So, uh, But uh, stick around for a few more minutes because uh, we are going to do our Learn About Beer uh, segment here momentarily. Ben's got a really good one today. But in the meantime, we would love for the listeners keep the conversation going with us. You can hit us up on Twitter at BeerEDUPod. And then we've also got the hashtag, the same thing, BeerEDUPod. The Facebook page, Beer EDU Podcast, one word, all lowercase. And then you could also email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. You know, we also got the um, website, bit.ly slash podcast. Go to that. If you want to be a guest, you could go on there and fill out our guest form. And you could be a guest just like Jessica. That's how Jessica was able to come on the show. She filled out that form. Voice message on the Anchor app. We'll uh, we'll push you on the Anchor app, or excuse me, on the podcast from that if you'd like. And then we would love for you to leave us a review in the iTunes store so more can find the podcast. Yeah. And and you're on Twitter, Jessica. And what is your handle again? Sure, it is KY Girl in Alabama. And then I have a website just for all my Google stuff and all my blog and all that. And that is FedTechTeacher.com. All right. Perfect. FedTechTeacher.com. So, yep, Definitely so we, check that out. Yep, we got that in the show notes as well. So um, good stuff. So now at this point, this is uh, the favorite of some people, at least, the part where we learn a little bit about beer. It's so, the educational part of the education it's podcast. The educational part of the education yeah, podcast. I'd, so I had to put my readers on because I got to read this. Yeah. Because so, it's kind of long. Yeah. So, Ben, you got a really good one yeah. today. So. This came about because on my my walk with my wife in the morning, we walk to a very popular coffee place. Um, I won't name them because they're not paying us. They should. But um, this place with the green green logo, they have nitro coffee. And so we were having this discussion about nitro coffee and what that is. And then we were talking about nitro beer. And I was wondering, well, okay, wait a minute. What's I know I, I've had nitro beer, but I'm like, what's what makes it different than CO2? Like, like I mean, I know the taste, but like, how does that work? Right. Yeah, and you know, like, there's just a, a few intricacies about right. nitro versus just that standard yeah. draft. So when when you brought this topic about, I'm like, this is a really good yeah. one. I want to know more about this. Yeah. So 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 your normal beer that has CO2. That's the most common used carbonation method. So what will happen is when brewers will do um, a bottle or something, they're basically adding priming sugar to the wort when they bottle it. And that produces that CO2 in the bottle, which 
which if you mess that up, let me tell you from experience, three in the morning, those bottles will explode. And if you're a fan of Breaking Bad, there was a great scene in one of the early seasons where Hank was asleep and he starts hearing what sounds like gunshots. So he grabs his service revolver and then heads toward his garage because that's where he's hearing these sounds coming from. And when he opens his garage, he sees his homebrew bottles exploding all over the place. And it's the same exact thing that Ben experienced yes. in real life. Yes. So, I mean, that, that carbonation will blow those off. So the other thing that brewers will do is they will get that nitro into the, or get that CO2 into the keg is they attach CO2 tanks uh, to force the carbonation into the beer. So nitro, so nitrogen gas, actually it's not pure nitro. It's not pure nitrogen. It's a mixture of 70% nitro and 30% CO2. And, what happens is if you've ever had a nitro beer and even with the nitro coffee, you'll get that really nice creaminess. You know, the bubbles are smaller. Um, instead of it foaming over when you pour it, it's just a smooth, I mean, they describe it as a cascade effect. Um, so finer bubbles than CO2. Um, some breweries are now incorporating nitro into bottles and cans. I mean, the one I always think of is Guinness. Yeah, you Guinness know. definitely. And then, on um, the can ones, they always have that little like plastic yes, ball, the ball in there too. Yes. So does it, did your research come up with I, that at I all? I didn't see anything about that, and I think that has to do with the canning process to keep the to keep it. I don't know to keep it um, mixing. I guess is what I think it was. Oh, to get the, so where the nitrogen yeah. mixes uniform throughout well, the beer because because the thing is is that. Um, Nitrogen is largely, it's an insoluble liquid. So that's what contributes to that thick mouthfeel. And I, I don't know if when it's in that can, if it settles a certain way and you would need that. Because I've had beers, like I know Guinness has done it. Mm-hmm. Um, Boddington, another, mostly what I've found is your Irish and your English brewers will do it. Yes. So I, um, the only one I can think of right now is Left Hand's uh, Nitro Milk Stout. Oh, yeah. But that one I believe is in a bottle. So then yeah. that so that definitely doesn't have that. So if anybody that's listening knows anything about yes. the little plastic ball uh, yes. with the nitro beers, please you know send us a message. Yes, we DM would love us to know more or about like that. tag us. So so yeah, so that's that's kind of what that is. And then they're also what brewers will also do is they'll ship their kegs to a tap room and then they'll add the nitro. They'll hook up the nitro after, just like they do with the CO two. And then we were just talking about. You can go to places and have nitro poured beers, but you can't really get them in a growler. No. Um, one of my favorite beers is the Oatmeal Stout from Tenacre Creek yes. Brewery in Las Vegas. And I love it in a bottle. I love it when they used to can it. I loved it on draft. And um, I, I didn't love it on nitro, though, because I felt that the nitro covered up some of the flavors mm-hmm. of the beer and I, I do find that with some nitro beers that flavors get covered up right. because of that it, it turns into that creamy mouthfeel whatever right. kind of you know that's what you're getting versus the flavors but um they went exclusively on draft at Tanea creek to the nitro version okay. of it um they would do their one-offs of the beer on co2 which was always right amazing. they had this toasted coconut coffee one one wow. time that was just amazing but i digress um but I couldn't get that on growlers anymore okay. because the nitro it just it wouldn't last. So and um, you were joking um, before we recorded today that 
you know, maybe if you got that growler and then drank it all in one sitting. Yeah, that's possibly. the only way I think. I don't but, know. Um, but that's one thing about a nitro beer, though, is that they do make them easier to drink. Whereas a CO2 right. beer, you sometimes, you, if you really take a long pull off one, that CO2 yes. it gets up in your nose. It's too, yeah, it's like drinking a soda really fast, too. Right. Um, well, and that's, it's interesting you talk about that, that, that taste piece, because most of your nitros, those are going to be, because it's so much creamier, because it's, it brings out a sweeter quality in beers, you're going to, you're really talking your porters, your stouts, you know, the left-hand brewing milk stout is a classic one. Um, and, and some of those, and it's, it's just, they have to be more malt heavy. Um, you can do, some people have done wheat and IPAs, I can't think of one that I've ever had, but I think the nitro in the, in my research and reading about it, it's really going to kill that that hop that bitterness of a hop. I I feel like Tanea Creek, one of their guest taps one time, was an IPA that they did on nitro, but it wasn't a super hoppy one. It was definitely more of a it, it was I think it was a double IPA that was more of the right. malt forward style, and I just. I remember having it and just, I, I wasn't a fan because, you know, I really, when I drink my IPAs, right. that's what I'm going for. I'm right. going for that hot it's bitterness bit, yeah. and, you know, the citrus or the pine or whatever flavors, what depending on the hops that they're using. So, yeah, I'm definitely not a fan of the nitro on those style beers. And then it, it depends on the beer when it comes to the porters and the stouts. Right. I know right now Lead Dog here in Reno has their peanut butter stout on a mm-hmm. nitro. And it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. But, again, going back to my experience at Tanea Creek, their oatmeal stout, I was not a huge fan okay. of it on nitro. Yeah, I think it just I think it just depends on the beer. And I know in, in my research, uh, John Hall, who's the editor of All About Beer, he writes a lot about nitro. And he's talking about some people are experimenting. There's a lot of smaller craft brewers that are experimenting with nitro and some non-traditional, like double IPAs, which mm-hmm. – which, which I'm wondering, you know, with a super super hoppy beer, it might not kill it too much. Yeah, if you're if you're looking at one of those beers that's yeah. like up towards the hundred IBUs, yeah, for sure. You know, where it might it might even mellow it out. Yeah, some because sometimes you get those super super hot bombs, and it's almost right. too much. Whereas the nitro might mellow that out a little bit more and just bring a, a different flavor profile. Yeah, it would be. It, I I would be interested to try one of those, and and definitely if you're listening and you've had a really get, great nitro, yeah, hit us up. Tell us which ones you've had. Tell us we want to know about the little ball in the can bottle thing. Yeah, and obviously it's going to be something that we would have to go have on location. Yes, you gotta have so, it on tap. Yeah, so um, if you do got one of those, let us know that that might be a beer edu podcast road trip. There we go. That's so that. hey, that is nitro versus CO two. Yeah, so. Um, good stuff right there. Like, like I said, you know, when you brought that up uh, before we recorded, I was very intrigued by that because it's just something that I've experienced it, but just right. never knew much about it. So, um, but and I think uh, you know, we wrapped up that segment. I think that about wraps up the episode. Too. Yes, I think we're done. So, um, we want to thank Jessica for coming yes, on once thank again. Thank you so much, so, Jessica, um, and her passions, and best of luck to her and everything that she is pursuing at this point. So, um, and Hopefully, our paths will cra- cross maybe in Las Vegas uh, yes, since she applied. Sounds like she's for, applied. Yeah, for that uh, the conference um, at the end of September. So, and uh, speaking of that conference, we're actually going to do an episode uh, here pretty soon where we're going to really promote that event a yes. little bit. We're going to have 
um, the rest of the board for Q in Nevada to come on the show and really talk about the event and what's going to happen there. Yes. And then, and then talk to them a little bit about what they do for their everyday jobs too, because, um, as a board member for Q, it's, uh, it's not a full-time gig. We're not getting no. paid for it. It's a volunteer gig. So it is, but, um, yeah, we're going to have an episode devoted to that. And then, um, you know, and then look forward to, we're going to have some episodes with, um, some other podcasters out yep. there too, with the podcast EDQ that, uh, we talked about in, uh, episode 29 a little bit as well. So, um, yeah, we definitely got some great stuff on tap for everybody. Pun totally <laughs> intended with that one. So, but well, Ben, thanks again for being awesome and being my partner in this. And, uh, for everybody out there, thank you for listening and may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on.